podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given, a frankly nonsensical cricket podcast at the best of times and usually a very, very silly, ridiculous place. However, a bit of a sombre episode this week as the cricketing world was shaken to its very, very core by the passing of the one and only Mr. Shane Warne. I don't think I need to explain to anybody listening to this podcast who Shane Warne is, but 708 test wickets for Australia. Just an unbelievable, unbelievable bowler, spin bowler, cricketer, showman, commentator, character, whatever you want. And uh, we were going to talk about the upcoming England-West Indies match. And uh, we were going to talk a little bit about the Women's Cricket World Cup. But really, there's only one person that we want to talk about this week. Uh, I'm joined as ever by Daniel Norcross and Stephen Finn. Finney, I'll come to you first because uh, we are similar ages. You're, you've got a few years on me. You're a bit older than me, but uh, we are similar ages. And Shane Warne is, to me anyway, sort of the reason I fell in love with cricket. I remember my dad always watching cricket on the TV and uh, he was constantly telling me, this guy Warne's amazing, this guy Warne's amazing. And I was kind of transfixed by him the first time I ever laid eyes on him bowling a cricket ball. And then obviously the 2005 Ashes and the rest is history. What are your early memories as a before you were a player, but as a cricket fan of, of Shane Warne? Yeah, I mean, he had that larger than life character that everyone talks about and people who knew him firsthand talked about. He's um, one of the main people when I was younger that, um, that you felt as though resonated with people and was a hero to so many people. I mean, every single leg spinner in the world basically tried to emulate or was inspired by Shane Warne. And that's no different to any cricket fan or, or young cricket player. When you're growing up, you look at someone like that and the way they play the game and you just want to be that. So, yeah, very much my early memories were of watching that great Australian side, of which Shane Warne was obviously a majorly key component. Um, and and yeah, just those memories of, of how good he was at cricket, one, but also the character and the personality that shone through at the same time. Yeah, it's it's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. People talk about that. He got you out before he got you out thing that he used to stand at the top of his mark with his earring and his smile and chucking that ball up in the air and he'd be fizzing it out of his fingers and some batsman crumbled before it even actually started walking into Boulder thing. And then as a player, Finney, so I, I asked you before we started recording, but you never quite crossed paths. I was wondering if maybe his Hampshire years and your early Middlesex years had, had crossed paths, but you, you only faced him once on a cricket pitch. Is that right? Yeah, I didn't literally face him. Otherwise, he would have almost certainly <laughs> got me out of LBW. <laughs> I mean, it's not that difficult to do that. Um, but yeah, I'm a sucker for a googly from a leg spinner just hitting me in the shin. So um, yeah, you could almost have guaranteed that he'd have done that to me. But yeah, I, I only faced him on the field once in an exhibition game at Lords, where um, Middlesex played against Rajasthan Royals, I think in 2008 or 2009. Um, but even then, this, the furore about him being there, he came to speak to us in the dressing room because he was friends with Sean Newdell, who was our captain at the time. He came into the dressing room, told a couple of stories, was really generous with his time. And yeah, for someone who was such a great at the game and to come in and, and give his time so generously to us as a young Middlesex team was... Um, 
was a wonderful thing. But unfortunately, or fortunately for me, uh, I never had to face him in a I'm, game. I'm sure Sussex will be delighted you've just publicly announced that you can't face a leg spinner bowling a googly. I'm sure they'll be delighted with that. For all the, look, there was controversies in his career and, you know, um, and all those things. But what it always comes back to when people talk about Shane Warne was his cricketing brain and how intelligent he was about the game of cricket, which was maybe underrated at times when he was playing because, you know, he was, he was such a larger-than-life character. But secondly, how much he bloody loved the sport of cricket. And uh, Norcross, obviously... You, um, you would have, you know, watched him like the rest of us in amazement as, as a fan and then have spent a lot of time in the last few years working alongside him at various, you know, press boxes and, and having spent a lot of time with him. And is, that, and is that exactly true what everybody says, that in amongst it all, in amongst the dyed blonde hair and uh, the very public, you know, controversies and the women and whatever, was a guy who absolutely adored the sport of cricket? Yeah. It, when you got him onto cricket, he was absolutely riveting. And it was a it was a stupid privilege, actually, to be around him. I I did my first test match at Edgebaston, first men's test match for TMS. So when Warney would be around for Sky, Edgebaston 2016, and I think it was that test match when he came and chatted to Tuffers, and I was next to Tuffers, and he was uh, just his brain just flew around various different topics. Some of it was socialising, what they were going to do tonight. And then if any of it came, it suddenly a passage of play would come into his mind about that day's play and uh, Tuffers had, had talked about it and then he would like latch onto that and he would just be so acute in his reading of what he'd just seen. It was a revelation, really. It was absolutely brilliant to see a cricketing brain like compute in front of your head. He was also, he loved cricket so much. I mean, I remember that game. He went out with uh, Tuffers, Vaughney and Henry Blofeld and introduced Henry to Jaeger bombs. <laughs> and I mean, you know, that was kind of the man, really. He was sort of basically, or that's what he felt like to me at any rate. He felt like a kind of incredible whirring presence of nonstop activity and when he was on cricket, he was at his most fascinating because that was the area he knew so, so well. And if any time you could spend with him and get him to talk about cricket was time that you would never regret. He was, he was riveting. But he was also, you know, look, he's being offered a state funeral in Australia. And we have a slightly different view of it here. We, we fell in love with Warney despite ourselves, didn't we, in this country? Mm. Because he arrived, he took that wicket with Gatting and then, he just basically caused us pain and misery. But the, he caused us such beautiful, elegant, fantastic, theatrical pain and misery that proper cricket fans saw through that side of it. And no longer was he just Australian. He was something so magnificent to watch, something so you were so privileged and blessed to be there while it was happening. You know, it, it's much recorded in 2005 when the crowd at the Oval were giving him jip. And then... They just say, said at the end, they're just saying, it's only because we wish you were English. And he was genuinely touched by that. And it was what it, that's what it was. He was, he, was, he was one of the very few Australian players who could come right into the hearts of English fans. And we forgave him all the things that, for example, you don't forgive David Warner, you know, but we do forgive Shane Warne. Uh, and that, that was a miracle. But I think 
we've got to understand the difference between our perception of him and Australia's because in Australia, he wasn't just that. He was a megastar. You know, you don't get off the state funeral unless you're that. Uh, he meant something so, so important to that country. Almost, I would say, not dissimilar to Bradman in the way that when he arrived and the narrative that went around him. And cricket is a fundamentally uncool sport, unfortunately. And all of us around here have felt the weight of justifying our love of this ridiculous and crazy game. But Shane Warne, when he was around, you could show him to a disbeliever and say, just take a look at this, right? And now tell me this game's boring. I mean, I put out a tweet the other day, and it was true. My sister-in-law is this proper, like, Eastern New England American she didn't really like sport that much, but she certainly didn't like cricket. And she'd had to come over to this country every summer because she married my brother from 1985. And my dad and I and my brother would be watching the cricket. And it was a painful experience for her, especially because it was rubbish anyway. And it was slow and dull. And then Shane Warne appeared in 93. And I swear to you, that was when she got cricket. Uh, seven, eight years of just it being tedious crap in the background. And then she came, bloody hell. And then she understood why the fact that the ball like lands on a pitch is important and it's not like baseball. And then she started thinking all the things that you want people to think, you know. Then she became enraptured by the game. I mean, that is that is quite an achievement. Shane Warne, I tell you. In many ways, it might be a greater achievement than his thousand international wickets to convince my American sister-in-law that cricket was good after eight years of hating <laughs> Well, I mean, exactly what you say. I mean, that's his impact on not just the cricketing world, but I think the sporting world and then the wider world indeed, is that people that couldn't care less about cricket and still to this day don't care about cricket were invested in Shane Warne and what's he up to now? And I mean, I tweeted, I I was playing golf on Friday, funnily enough, with three guys from my cricket team when my mate Jack just looked at his phone and just said, you'll never believe what's just happened. And we, we all sat there and... Couldn't believe it. And we actually had a beer in our in our golf bags and we all agreed, well, let's get a beer out and have one for Shane then because it's what the man would have wanted. But uh, I tweeted at the time, as soon as I heard the news, saying that he made the most unsexy sport in the world a little bit sexy. It was a little bit rock and roll. It was a little bit cool. And he did that. And uh, I, I look at the way, when I first fell in love with cricket and, you know, probably the turn of millennium, early noughties, it was, and there's still a lot of this, but it was, mostly rich, old, white blokes watching it, right? It was rich, old, white men in blazers watching it mainly. And look, there's still a lot of that, and there's there's space for that, by the way, but there was lots of that. And I look at it now with cheerleaders and music going off and fireworks and live DJs, and in the crowd you see, you know, kids, families, everything, coloured clothing, 2020. And I don't know if any of that, would have happened, or certainly not as quickly as it happened, without Shane Warne. I really do think that he dragged the sport into the 21st century almost single-handedly. And he did it through the medium, which is most ridiculous, of leg spin. Yeah, now, he made it, which is the least now, sexy of all the things that you well, can do. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's so perilous, mm. you know. I mean, to, to, to actually transform the game through the medium of leg spin, you've got to be a genius. We saw Viv Richards transform it through the power of swagger and batting. We saw both them, Imran, that lot, you know, do things that sort of rapid, fast, exciting. I mean, people bouncing, jumping out of the way, Michael holding. But Shane Warne lolloped in 
or five paces and then did stuff that made you transfixed. It made you not leave the room. And of course, cricket's great challenge is to keep people watching. And someone like Shane Warne kept you watching. You you didn't go anywhere. The old cliche that he emptied bars, you know, he was the epitome of that. Whenever Shane Warne was bowling, you don't leave your seat. Talking about leg spin, you know, which notoriously leg spin is, I mean, English, the ECB still afraid of leg spin. Poor Matt Parkinson can't get a look at in the test side because the idea of leg spin still scares people to this day. It's too erratic. There's always a bad ball every over. Well, Shane Warne took 708 wickets with an economy of 2.6 in 145 test matches. So not only did he not go for any runs or bowl any bad balls, but he took a hell of a lot of wickets as well. Finney, you know, we talked a lot about the personality and the character. Do you think that less and less, and you've sort of probably seen this more in the last few years, especially with the advent of smartphones and social media and stuff, but are we unlikely to see players like Shane Warne more and more in the coming years? You see the young guys coming through the academy now. Are they much more savvy, media savvy, PR savvy, a bit more switched on, maybe a bit less likely to to make some of the very public mistakes that Warney made in his time? Yeah, I think that was the great thing, wasn't it? What you saw was what you got with him and and you feel as though you got that with his broadcasting with with his playing and and the personality that came with him when he was playing yeah definitely the the characters of that ilk are definitely not in the game anymore or not not as um as obviously around in the game um and yeah the, the professionalization of the sport i suppose is something that um Maybe Shane Warne wouldn't have enjoyed playing cricket in 2022 uh, for that reason. <laughs> um, but it's um, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one to say, isn't it? Because people have their personalities in their own ways. But the fact that he was that kind of um, character, um, you're certainly not going to see too many Shane Warnes again for what he bought. I, I feel like part of that as well, and, and Dan touched on the fact that you know the all the England fans. Deep down, although he was absolutely tormenting us every few years, we all deep down wish he was ours. And also the impact that he's had in Australia on the people there. And I think I think some of the controversies sort of added to that sort of love for Shane Warne because I think we could all see a little bit of ourselves in this guy, minus the ridiculous talent and skill, of course. Well, for me and Dad especially. But I think he was so human and so real. And I watched, I've been watching so many clips of him doing interviews and stuff the last few days. And he said not long ago, he's, you know, he said somebody asked him why he was popular and so loved. And he says, I think I was always myself. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I was always great or perfect or brilliant or good, but I was at myself and I never tried to be anything different. I think that's what people resonated with so, so much. Um, it's, it's, I, why, it's why people can't believe he's dead. Yeah. Either, because the extraordinary vivacity, his, his presence was just massive all the time. We've just had kind of wall to wall war, haven't we? Uh, for the, I mean, you could say for the last 30 years, but just in the last month and a half, you know, it's been the ashes, it's been a big bash, it's been Australia gays just hearing his magnificently crazy theories sometimes, some of which were based on a desire to get on a golf course more quickly or, you know, out and about. So he was always <laughs> a big fan of the early declaration to the point where it must have driven... Like captains mad hearing back where Wardy was suggesting you declare now 50 behind, it's your only chance. You know, no, <laughs> we've got seven wickets in hand, we can go beyond. Um, you know, he was, he was 
tactically always very aggressive. He's always pointing out the aggressive moments in cricket. And again, I come back to the thing about how cricket struggles to engage people. In much the same way, say like, like Catanaccio defences in Italy sort of were in danger of destroying football. Well, Warney was the opposite of Catanaccio. Warney was like, the, you know, the sort of Kevin Keegan in a way, better, obviously. But, but as when he came to look at football, it'd be like, let's have, let's declare early. Let's, let's try and go out there and get 3.8, 4 and over at a time when people just weren't doing that. He was aggressive, exciting. He made the game, he wanted the game to move on at all times. Because I think he was really aware, actually, that cricket needs to keep engaging people. And he did that as a person in his daily life. You know, he gave of himself freely to young players, to spectators. He was there for the game. And then in his commentary, he was as well. He wanted the game to be exciting. He took T20 when it first happened. He took it seriously. I mean, don't forget, Australia played a T20 game against New Zealand, their first match. And they were all wearing wigs and stupid old clothing, you know. Whereas, you know, Warney embraced the IPL right from the very beginning. He was visionary in what he thought cricket could be and in how much he adored the game and where he wanted it to go. And that's partly why we can't believe he's gone because he's sort of the voice that's driving on change now. And if that goes, we feel this terrible lack. Mm. Now, that's not true. There are plenty of people out there who are going to keep on driving the game forward and doing wonderful things. But he was sort of at the vanguard of that, right at the front. And and that's why, you know, I'm kind of welling up thinking about it. It's crazy. It, it's. I remember when Phil Hughes tragically died so young, a few years back. And I think it was Tom Fordyce wrote an article on BBC Sport at the time. It's one of the most wonderful bits of writing I've ever read. And I think about it a lot, pretty much whenever a, a sportsman dies. And he basically was explaining why sportsmen's deaths hit us so hard. And the reason is that these are the closest things we've got to real-life superheroes because we watch them do things that, to mere mortals, is absolutely impossible. And therefore, they have this sort of aura of superhero, of invincibility, and it's shattering when these guys that we grew up worshipping and idolising are taken away from us. And I think that's why the Shane Warm one is has hit so many people so hard because this guy was superhuman, larger than life. And you just you just assume people like that are going to be around forever. So it does it, it, it even if the, the age is tragic, and we should mention that 52 years old, that is absolutely heartbreaking. But let's be honest, if I'd got the alert on my phone or whatever bits of technology we've got years from now, 40 years from now, and I got the message that Shane Warner died at 92, it still would have shook me to my core because he was so, so remarkable a man. And you just, one of those characters you assume, well, Warney will be doing Warney. Whatever I'm doing, you know, somewhere in the world, Shane Warne's being Shane Warne. Finney, what about, um, what about Sussex? Have you guys been training and got together since then? Because I'd imagine these are sort of stories that sort of resonate around the cricketing world and around the WhatsApp group and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, we were, I was actually batting when I found out and Ian Salisbury, just like your mate on the golf course, looked at his phone and the, banner or the headlight would have just come up and seen a similar thing you'd, you'd never believe what has just happened Shane Warne's passed away and yeah you're just shocked I suppose you sort of don't you don't believe that it's true you sort of expect it to be a hoax or you expect it to be you know someone I mean like people say the Queen dies about every other week don't they at the moment and, <laughs> yeah. and you're sort of hoping that it's just not true 
and and yeah and then when you hear it develop more it was it was just shock and disbelief that someone of that nature and and with that size character and personality it, it almost seems unfathomable that um that they could pass away by a heart attack i'd i'd love to have heard shane's response and retort in recent weeks because you said you were batting when you heard the news that you've been comparing yourself to a right-handed Matthew Hayden these last few weeks in pre-season. I would have loved to have heard what Shane Warne made of that statement, Finney. Yeah, um, well, <laughs> I, I, he might have said um, said some pretty uncomplimentary things about my batting and it probably probably would have been justified. <laughs> no, I, re- I reckon he'd probably have actually said, you know, mate, I think you probably are a left-hander. And uh, it probably entirely changed your, your technique. You'd have been bowling left arm. You'd have been batting left-handed in no time after about <laughs> three-hour session with Warney. <laughs> I had a um, brilliant interview with Adam Gilchrist that was actually recorded about a month or so ago, so before this tragic news of Warney. But uh, he said he had the two best seats in the house in world cricket. He said that he got to kneel down behind the stumps and watch this magician bowling. For pretty much most of his test career, Adam Gilchrist got to stand behind the stumps and watch Shane Warne bowl. And he said the only better seat in the house was when that over was finished, I'd go and stand behind the stumps for Glenn McGrath and Shane Warne would be at first slip telling me stories about what he got up to the night before. And I just thought that is a cool a cool place to be for Adam Gilchrist for a very long time. We should mention this as well, actually, because everyone talks about the leg spin bowling, but... Uh, a decent bat. He never got a Test 100. Did he get 99? Didn't he? Famously also at Edgebaston. I'm sure Warney won't appreciate me bringing this up, but he weirdly kicked the bails off in that famous 2005 Test. And a wonderful slip fielder as well by the end. He, he certainly wasn't to begin with, but I think he basically couldn't be asked to run around too much in the outfield. So he perfected the art of, a, uh, of being a, a first slip fielder. That can't be an easy thing to do, Finney. I felt like Warney, if you needed evidence of how much he loved the game of cricket and he hadn't just learnt one specific skill with the leg spin bowling, but his batting and his slip fielding came on leaps and bounds as the years went on. He obviously, behind it all, behind, like I said, the bleached hair and the earring and the relationships and the being in the papers and everything, he obviously took cricket really bloody seriously because you don't get that good at all three aspects of the game without putting in a lot of hours. I know you, you don't become that good at cricket or master something as complicated as leg spin without doing that and without working hard. And I think that he referred to his love of cricket and his desire to always be positive and, and always think positively about the game. And, and I'd never played with him or really experienced him within a series, only watching from afar. But I, I can't imagine that there was... Um, I can't imagine he was lazy with his practice or anything like that. He seems like the sort of person who, if there were social media accounts of practice, like you see Labashane and Smith and those guys having these big long nets, you'd have probably seen a lot of footage of Shane Warne practicing his catching, batting and bowling. It's so, uh, that was so key to him. Uh, exactly that. It's that. So it's that practice, but then putting that out on the field so that you then master the psychology of it. I, I think of two examples here. There's been a great video doing the rounds of him coming out to bat on the last, uh, the, the third day at Edgebaston, that incredible test in 2005, I think it is. And Strauss is trying to get at him. And Ashley Giles is bowling into the footmarks. And Strauss is saying, oh, he doesn't like it here. And uh, 
And Shane takes rather a lot of exception to that. And Australia are in all sorts of bother. They need 140 to win. They're seven wickets down. They're losing, right? An Englishman in that situation will be not starting a conversation. Shane said, if you say another word, I'm hitting the next ball for six. And Strauss said, well, okay. So he said something, you know, because he can't, can't be seen to back down. And sure enough, the next ball of Ashley Giles late in the evening in a crucial test match goes whacking over deep mid-wicket for six. And then the other one is when he comes and plays that T20 game, doesn't he? Is it in the big bash against Brendan McCullum? And he's mic'd up and he tells the commentators how he's going to get him out. And, uh, you know, bowls ball and then he's, he's talking away and says, I'm just going to slide one through here and uh, bowl him. And he does it. And that is what is so magnificent. It's like all that time spent, all that practice, all that thought, it's not just about just taking the wickets. It's about taking them and owning them. It's like owning the people that you're on the field with. I mean, he must have been a, a nightmare competitor. You wouldn't know what to do. You would, you'd be thinking, don't wind him up. In much the same way, you know, as you think, don't wind up Curtly Ambrose. People talk about, was it Steve War who sort of like complained about the fact that he was wearing wristbands, that kind of thing, and the rest of his teammates go, don't wind up Curtly Ambrose. That's understandable because he's going to smash the ball into your nose. Don't wind up Shane Warne. <laughs> he's just going just gonna to rip through us. And he's a bloody leg spinner. I mean, this is, I know I keep going back to it, but that's sort of the maddest detail of all of this is that he could be a rock star leg spinner who terrified the life out of you with bat and ball on the field. And then after it, came and, you know, taught you all his tricks. And I know Mason Crane, the, leg, the English leg spinner, Hampshire leg spinner, has talked about how much he's helped. I mean, it's been just a slew of brilliant tributes from young English players and Indian players. You know, when he first started at Rajasthan Royals, he was bigging up these complete no-name 21-year-old Indian players who'd done nothing. You know, he... It, it, it's, it's, I guess, you know, he just loved them. He loved it. He loved the game. He loved the drama and the theatre of it. And it, it was an incredibly generous man in that respect, an incredibly generous man. Yeah, there's so many photos and videos and stories going around on social media this week of Warney helping out young cricketers, especially young spin bowlers. But the, it seems, it feels like every young kid who's ever bowled leg spin at some point or another, Shane Warne's given them a private let. I mean, it's amazing. We have to, you know, his, his uh, mental character as well. Um, people forget that he struggled at the start of his career. He had a bowling average of 335 at the start of his career before he bowled brilliantly uh, in Sri Lanka. And then uh, a year later, absolutely tore through the brilliant West Indies side at the start of the early 90s. Uh, then the Gatting ball was 1993. The hat trick was a year after that against England. He, he took a while to get going, but then he made up for lost time in Test cricket. Now, in amongst all the wonderful tributes that came out, this week, and I thought Pat Cummins in particular spoke beautifully about Warney, and uh, Virat Kohli spoke beautifully about Shane Warne as well. And Virat Kohli said, without question, the greatest spin bowler of all time. And it was quite funny, actually, when he gave that interview to Sky Sports News, it was. In the background, you could see Ashwin bowling in the nets and within earshot, and Kohli was going, there'll never be a spinner anywhere close to him, by far the best ever. Um I've always thought he was the best spin bowler of all time. Muraliferin as well, obviously, uh, was spectacular to watch, but bowled in much more helpful home conditions than Shane Warne did. Finney, do you think he is the greatest spin bowler the game's ever seen? And, and it's easy to say it now because obviously it's a very sad week and to sort of wax lyrical and over-exaggerate it, but certainly he was the best spinner I've ever seen. Yeah, he was widely regarded 
always with his rivalry of um, with Muralithran and the way they were just piling on wickets together at the same time. Yeah, I think without a doubt for everything, for the fact that he was a leg spinner, I think counts towards it because it is the hardest thing to do in the game. And then I think on top of that, you add into the fact of the conditions that he played in. Yes, he played in a very good team, but he was a huge component of that. Playing in Australia or half of his test matches in Australia would be a massive factor to it. Um, and then all the other stuff that came with it, the uh, the personality, the way that he went about it, inventing new balls, getting inside people's heads. Um, yeah, there's no doubt that he's the greatest spin bowler of all time and, and arguably one of the probably top five greatest cricketers that's ever played the game. He was voted one of the top five cricketers of the 20th century and he'd only been playing test cricket for seven and a half years at that point. He hadn't, he hadn't got close to his 708 wickets. It was, you just, you knew it immediately, you know. And obviously, he, he announced himself to English fans with a bang. He hadn't actually started with a bang, but he started, he announced himself to us with a bang and Wisdom's an English publication and, uh, you know, he was fourth in the list. The other, the other four, other than him, are all knighted. Oh, really? Sir Donald Bradman, yeah, Sir Donald Bradman, Sir Gary Sabers, Sir Jack Hobbs, and I should remember the other one, but I can't off the top of my head. Uh, but they're all they're all knights. Um, and uh, Shane, Shane was the only one who, strangely enough, was not knighted. Well, if the Queen's listening, you know, uh, and I'm going to hazard a guess that she isn't, but if the Queen's listening, then Liz, <laughs> you know what to do. Uh, you mentioned there it being the hardest skill, Finney, leg spin, because we've all tried at some point or another in the cricket nets to be Shane Warne. I think everybody that's ever picked up a cricket ball has tried to be Shane Warne. And for me, I overbowl it 20 feet over the bowler's head or it bounces four times. It's pretty much impossible. Finney, now I'd imagine at the side... What about your leg spin? What does your leg spin do? Shit, I walked into that one, didn't I? Finney, now I'd imagine at your slightly more professional standard of nets, uh, there's probably less time to dick around. But, uh, you know, most club cricket net sessions are serious for about an hour and then by the end, it's everybody trying to bowl leg spin pretty much. Does that happen at the professional standards? Have you tried running in and being Shane Warne in in a professional net setting before? No, no, I can't say I have. (laughs) I um. I did spend an entire tour of India where I didn't even look like playing a game for a five test match series replicating Ravi Ashwin in the nets because I was tall and got bounced. So I had to throw off spinners in the nets and I I certainly threw more off spinning balls than I bowled seam up balls over the course of a five test match series. But yeah, the leg spin and getting the ball to go that way and having control of it is, I find it almost impossible. Mm. Um, And yeah, they're either big, big, like donkey drops that go three miles up in the air um, or they bounce three or four times before they get to the batter. That must have been a bleak tour, carrying the drinks and bowling off spin in the net. <laughs> that's, that's not the one, is it? Throwing. Uh, I didn't even bowl it. I, th- <laughs> I, had to, I threw it because I couldn't bowl it. Anyway, thanks, thanks for coming on that tour, Finney. Those throwdowns are really useful. Cheers for that, mate. Now, we've uh, we've all been sat here as free Englishmen banging on about our love for Shane Warne and how much we enjoyed watching him and, you know, being the greatest bowler of all time. But I'm very happy to say that we are joined by the very brilliant Mr. Jeff Lemon. And I can't believe we've been in this podcast so long and we haven't had Jeff on already. Uh, Jeff, mate, thank you very much for joining us. I know you're currently in Pakistan, so I've got no idea what the time is, but thank you very much for joining us. Uh, but before uh, before I ask you about Warney, um, I've just got to say that, first of all, I thought your article on the BBC Sport website was absolutely sensational. I loved it, especially with the quick turnaround as well. 
And I understand, I haven't read it yet, but I will do. Our producer was waxing lyrical about your piece in The Guardian as well. So so thank you for those, Jeff. Um, how are you, mate? And, and how is sort of Australia? I know you're not in Australia, but you must be seeing all the reaction. How is Australia reacting to, to the death of, quite simply, the greatest cricketer of all time? Hello. Hello, Toby. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. It, it would be nice if it were under better circumstances, but... It's it's a weird old time. Um, I'm I'm sitting in a hotel hallway in Pakistan at about 11 p.m. at night, um, looking at you over the screen. I hope you can hear me all right. And uh, it's been a very strange couple of days. It's been I don't know. Occasionally, big stories break on a tour. You know, sometimes you you're in South Africa and someone jams a bit of sandpaper down their trousers or whatever it is. <laughs> but, but I haven't had anything like this where it, it's it's such an emotional story. It's it's a story that almost everybody in Australia has some connection to. I'm sure there are some people who don't care, but there aren't many of them. And people who don't follow the game at all still knew who Warney was. They had a he had a connection with people that transcended the sport. Um, and and so I think it's I think it's like people feeling a sense of loss of a bit of their their own lives or part of their childhoods or this sense of nostalgia. There's something that's gone and, and a world that won't be quite the same. And you mentioned it there. We've sort of been touching on this, but I, I think we almost, we almost made him an honorary Englishman because we wanted him to be English because we bloody loved him. He was effortlessly cool. He also was flawed in ways, which I think made him more human and more real to us English cricket fans. And we could see a little bit, of us in him and is that why he's he's so beloved in australia that it, it's just that even if you weren't a cricket fan in australia he was an aussie bloke you recognize that guy you've had drinks you went to school with that guy you had drinks with that guy in the bar last night absolutely that it, like you say that he was effortlessly cool he was also effortlessly uncool <laughs> all the time you know he, he was he was um carrying a few too many pounds he was eating baked beans he was he was a sort of proper uh, suburban melbourne bogan of a of a sort that was uh, unthreatening and approachable like someone like viv richards was always cool warney wasn't cool in the same way he was he was he was always there was always something funny about him as well as something great about him but i i think what people really liked was that he he was the butt of jokes at times but he didn't seem to let that bother him. He just came out and continued to do great things day after day, um, regardless of, of what people thought of him. And so there was something, it's like anybody thought they could have been him. Not everybody could have been Viv Richards. He was too good. He was too cool. You know, Warney did something that seemed, that was extremely difficult, but he made it look so easy that everybody thought they could bowl leg spin. And I think what you were talking about of everyone trying to bowl leg spin in the nets, that's his legacy. Everyone thought they could do it. Of course they couldn't do it. You know, no one, no one goes and, and watches a concert pianist play the rack three and says, I'll have a crack at that. I reckon <laughs> I could do that. Just, just wander my fingers over the keyboard a bit. No one does that because they know it's too hard. Everybody tried to bowl a leg break that was going to hit the top of off stub. Nobody could do it. It's funny you say that about how he was cool and uncool in one because, you know, that gatting ball, I've, 
I mean, poor Mike Gatting this week, spare a thought for him. He's probably seen that delivery more the last few days than he'd ever wanted to. <laughs> he, he probably thought well, bloody I didn't see it at the time. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 30 years later and it's still getting played every five minutes on every single channel at the minute. He's um, made quite a good after dead a career out of it. So I yeah, think, that's, you know, I think that's he's... true. Yeah, that's true. He's done it's all right. A bit of a out. gift, really. Yeah, that's true. He's done all right out of that. Shane one probably probably owed him a few quid over the years. But uh, no, it's funny when you watch that video, I'm there watching it and you're right. Shane Warne, he's got the worst hairdo I've ever seen. This sort yes. of peroxide blonde hair, but with massive roots in it. He's like you say, he's a little bit overweight for a professional sportsman. And yet uh-huh. he's also just bowled the best delivery I've ever seen. And it's kind of cool, <laughs> but he kind of looks uncool doing it. And it sums yes. up Shane Warne in one moment. That's it. He's, he's got the earring in, which looks terrible. You know that he'd be wearing some awful shirts in that decade. Like, you know that he's he's ordering pizzas with half a tin of canned pineapple on them. Like, he's, he's sort of beautifully uncool in a way. Yeah. And it didn't matter. You know, it didn't mm. matter that he looked like that or that he did those things. He was He was like... I don't know. He was like your older sister's terrible boyfriend who rocked up in one of those cars with the headlights that pop up out of the bonnet. You know, he was he was that guy. Um, so he was lovable in a way that because because, like I said, anybody thought that they could be him uh, if they wanted to. He was he was an approachable superstar. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, even that famous clip of him dancing on the balcony of a stump above his head. The dance is awful. What are you doing? Shaking your oh, ass yeah. from side to side. I mean, it's just, it kind of sums up, Warning. Um, I've got to ask you, Jeff, we won't talk too much about the actual match because um, Australia-Pakistan is still ongoing and we're going to talk about it properly next week. But um, just being in Pakistan again and being welcomed as a as an Aussie cricket team, what's the reaction been like out there? Oh, it, it, it has been incredible. I've, I've honestly never had anything like it in my life that like people are so glad that we're here and I I feel like a fraud really I'm just some dickhead who showed up to watch the cricket but they're they're delighted to have us around um there we've we've been welcomed everywhere we've gone we've been given gifts we've been taken to dinners uh, we've we've had there there's this very uh, strong Pakistani cultural um press uh, sort of I guess it's an imperative of hospitality that you must welcome the stranger you must you must be be good to those who have come uh, to your land and so that's that's been what it's been like we've been looked after incredibly well um, people are, are super happy to see us here and so yeah I mean there are some very loud happy people coming down the hallway now who you'll probably hear in a minute um, <laughs> who've been enjoying it. some of that hospitality. <laughs> reminds, reminds me a bit, Jeff. I went on the Bangladesh, England-Bangladesh tour in 2016 that took place after a uh, terrorist incident. And it was very similar, actually. Where, wherever you went in Bangladesh, and you weren't allowed to go far, it was mostly in the cricket grounds, the gratitude was there. And it, I found it quite a burden because... You know, I, I live in London where terrorist incidents take place with far too greater frequency. And, uh, you know, I mean, Pakistan's been out of test cricket for so long in Pakistan. There must be a part of you that's thinking, this feels a bit fraudulent. You know, I mean, why haven't Absolutely. we been here before? Well, well, also that you shouldn't have to be grateful to me for showing yeah. up. You know, this is this is your country that you live in. And I think... It, a big part of what's been interesting in in this week has been traveling around uh going out each night wandering around the city it's it's just a city that people live in 
you know, Pakistan is not a strange, terrible, terrifying country. There are not snipers on every corner. Uh, it's, there's nothing to be afraid of. Like things, you know, bad things happen and they sometimes happen here and they sometimes happen in other places to a small number of people, but they also don't happen to everybody else. Everybody else is just living their normal lives. And so I don't feel like anyone should be grateful for me coming here. I've, I've, I've come here because it's, it's an experience that I want to have. And I hope that I get to come back and I hope that we have other tours uh, that happen at other times and this becomes a regular part of the landscape. But, yeah, I, I do feel uncomfortable at having people express gratitude for me showing up. I'm not special. You know, I don't, I don't need I'm not something to be grateful for. Well, I, I couldn't disagree more, Jeff. It's all, you are you. absolutely something to be grateful for. Jeff, I'm going to let you go and enjoy some more of that hospitality, but thank you so much for coming on and talking about Warney. And uh, we'll get you back on uh, maybe some happier times to talk about how annoyingly your cricket team's quite good at the moment. He I'd hates them. To. He hates that team. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, actually, he probably doesn't now because they're, they're all unbelievably lovable. So. <laughs> Cheers, Jeff. All the best, mate. See you. Enjoy the rest of your tour. Dan Finney, mate, a, a, a different podcast from us, a, a slightly more, um, I guess, serious one than perhaps we're used to. But I've got a couple of questions before we go. First of all, Finney, how is Ethel's undercarriage? Oh, you're on mute. Unbelievable. He's on mute. <laughs> all these years. Oh, so Jeff won't even have had me say goodbye there. Like no, he just thinks you're a rude bastard. Yeah, she does, because I've been watching the football in the background and... <laughs> Ethel's undercarriage is um, currently dragging along the floor. So, uh, yeah, it's got significantly um, more droopy since we last spoke last week. Yeah, but we need, we need to actually, like, put our hands up because someone got in touch with us, didn't they, and said, Ethel's undercarriage is totally normal. Mm. It's not prolapse, whatever. It's something that girl cats get. And so yeah. I, I would like to make a public apology to Ethel here and now. Good. Yeah. Don't well, fat shame her. Where it well, I wasn't. I was I was prolapse sort of flop shaming it really. I wasn't just she was fat, just saying it's not a great look. Um, is she is she there to hear my apology? I'm just gonna check under the sofa. Hold on. Uh, by the way, for, if you've just um if you didn't listen to last week's podcast and you you think we have finally lost our minds, I should explain that Finney's cats have now finally moved down to Sussex with him, and um Ethel, his cat, has quite a pronounced undercarriage. And uh, Doobie McFicklebury has tweeted us this week and said, guys, the prolapsed undercarriage is actually called a primordial pouch. It is normal mm. for cats. Ethel has nothing to be ashamed of. And you know it's a low point when a man called Doobie McFicklebury is the voice of reason, but, but here we are. <laughs> um, so uh, Finney's going to go and get Ethel, complete with her rather resplendent, beautiful, completely normal undercarriage. And Norcross is going to make a groveling apology. Aren't you, Dan? Well, I am. I am going to make oh, here she is. a groveling apology. Here is Ethel. Is Ethel? Is that Ethel? Well, we wait with bated breath. Hold on. She was under the sun. Oh, she's oh, running away from me now. She's run away. Dragging, Ethel, dragging her primordial pouch with her. We're trying to fucking apologise, Ethel. Come back here. They're like this, aren't they, though, sometimes, cats? Mm. And actually, you know, I've had this in relationships as well. When you want to try and make an abject apology, they don't want to hear it. Never. <laughs> I've got to say to a girl called Ethel. But <laughs> well, El Elsie, two Hilders and a Doris have all run a, away from me when I've tried to apologise. A primordial pouch. Don't forget that is the word we're going to be using from now on. Out of respect to Ethel, we're not going to be calling it anything other than a primordial pouch. Whilst Finney is trying to catch Ethel, 
Do you know? so fucking quick, man. She, for a big girl, she's quick. <laughs> oh, have you been, are you out quick? You're a professional sportsman and you're out quicked by a cat with a primordial pouch. <laughs> yeah, but I don't fit behind or under the sofa. So, oh, she come knows on. Try, she knows I'm trying to get her now. She basically she does she knows that she's got she's about to be introduced to Dan Norcross and she's yeah, fucking made a run for it. Yeah, right. exactly. I'll well, leave her to it. Dan, well, why don't you apologise to Finney and then he can pass on your regards to Ethel? Well, I won't apologise directly to Finney. I'll say, can you pass on my apology? Because I'm never going to apologise to Finney. No, can you pass on my my apology to Ethel, please, Finney? And I think she can hear all of it right now. Oh, there she is, Ethel. We we were outrageous. You have got a primordial pouch that you should be proud of. When you lick that, know that you lick it for us all. Does that sound weird? I mean, I mean no weirder <laughs> than the fact that you're currently apologising to a cat down the back of the sofa while Stephen Finn points a webcam at her. So no, compared <laughs> to the context of the whole situation, it wasn't that fucking weird. She's got she's got a wire sticking out of her ass now. What's Finny up to? <laughs> Ethel, you and your primordial pouch are perfect, and we're sorry we ever doubted you. Sorry, Ethel. Sorry, Ethel. Genuinely, genuinely sorry, Ethel. I don't know. Finney's not apologised yet. No, I don't have to. She's my cat. Yeah, but (laughs) you you were pretty uncomplimentary about her last week, to be brutally honest. Mm, Yeah, she keeps me up at night sometimes, so she she has to feel the wrath of me sometimes. Oh, I see. (laughs) So it's a very transactional relationship you have with Ethel. Is that right? Well, I did wake up this morning and she was pretty much asleep on my head. So, um, yeah, we've, we've got a nice relationship. Well, uh, on that lovely, lovely note, guys, I'll see you next week. Oh, I've got and one Dan's... more. Sorry, oh, can, I, can, I just, can I just finish our Shane Warne special? With yes, please. My one bit of thanks that I want to give to Shane Warne because, you know, cricketers around the world have been talking about how much he's given them and what have you. Now, obviously, I was no good at cricket and he never helped me out. But what he did do was he's shown me where, if it's possible, there is a place at every test ground in England and Australia that I can have a fag and still see the action at the same time. You're not supposed to be there, but he found every single fire escape, nook and cranny, balcony, (laughs) where you could go between stints and have a fag with toughers and watch the game. And, you know, again, I'm welling up. Because it was brilliant every time we did it. There's thank life you. life lessons you don't learn in school. So thank you, <laughs> thank you, Shane, for, for for finding a spot that Norcross can have a crafty fag while the cricket's on. Uh, if nothing else, that was your remarkable legacy, uh, guys. Great chat to you this week. I'm shame about the circumstances, but uh, thank you very much for talking so beautifully about Shane Warne, the greatest bowler of all time, perhaps the greatest cricketer of all. Certainly, in my opinion, the most iconic. I'll see you next week, gents. Cheers. Stay safe. Sports Social Podcast Network.